Welcome to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, you may want to go back and explore some of the other interviews and content that we've created uh, all through this year, 2020. When uh, I interviewed our guest for today, Brian Eggert, it was in January, and uh, we didn't know uh, all that we would be facing this year with the pandemic. Uh, but one thing for sure, in a time like this, you want to know uh, that those who lead have the right attitude and the right heart, and they're thinking about what we need to be doing, thinking about the future, thinking about what we need, how we need to adapt. Well, Brian Eggert uh, grew up in Edmonton. Uh, he uh, began uh, serving in church ministry. He became a pastor in the Ottawa region and then moved to Mississauga to become the director of Mission Canada. Mission Canada is a PAOC, Pentecostal Assemblies, mission agency uh, that is uh, placing people in the missional gaps of Canadian culture. Brian does an exceptional job of uh, finding people that have a heart for God and want to do something extraordinary. Brian also uh, is, is a man of prayer. When I've been in his office, I've seen uh, the uh, promo cards of all our Mission Canada workers from across the nation. And Brian has this uh, ability to uh, keep track with so many people, so many diverse visions, and yet at the same time, be deeply committed to praying for all who are serving. I think you're gonna enjoy hearing what he has to say today. And uh, who knows, maybe somebody listening to this is gonna become one of our next Mission Canada workers. So let's go now to my interview with Brian Eggert. Brian, how, how did you get baptized into urban ministry? Well, baptism is a really good word, Kevin, for how I started urban ministry. So let me tell you a quick story. 17 years old, my youth pastor says, we're doing ministry this weekend. I was from a suburbia church in Edmonton, Alberta. So we went downtown to the Hope Mission for my yeah. first kind of experience with homeless people, with disadvantaged people, with people who just were down and needed a place. So they have to sit through the meal in order to hear the message in order to get the meal. Right. And so I began and I, my youth pastor said, you're going to preach tonight. So I opened my Bible and I went to John 3.16 because I thought that was a great verse to give to people, some hope. Yeah. And a guy yells out in the middle of my text, he says, Don't you know anything else? I've heard this one before. <laughs> <laughs> so I just basically chuckled and went through my sermon. And everything was written out and my testimony. And I basically was done in four and a half minutes. And uh, so that was my first initial uh, callback. I had people shouting at me during the message. And at 17, I knew that there was hope for people that were in an urban core that needed to hear the gospel message, even though they may have heard it before. Right. Wow, that's great. You, and it's, it's interesting. Uh, I was having a conversation uh, with our director, Bill, actually, uh, 
last night we were talking about some of those experiences that we had in our teen years that were at the time kind of a one-off but something got planted yeah. that years later would emerge. I think it took the fear away and I think it also gave us a broader perspective as kids growing up in a suburban environment that there was a whole world outside of what we understood and knew yeah. and uh, we weren't afraid of it. We understood it. We got a chance to, to relate to it. Hmm. You know, I went there back week after week. I think our youth group took a monthly turn and uh, I mean, we saw all kinds of stuff, whether it was fights or whether it was uh, yeah. people in distress or whether it was one sermon, a hymn book came flying across the room and hit right behind my head as I was uh, playing my trombone and, wow. and just a lot of action. But I learned that it wasn't anything I needed to be afraid of. It was right. something I could engage. Yeah. So I just, uh, you're right, those experiences kind of solidify what God's been saying in your heart. Yeah. And they happen, usually, in your teen years. Yeah, that's that's so true. Uh, so, um, how many years now have you uh, been director of Mission Canada? So, I came out of uh, 30 some odd years of pastoring and started this role in 2012. So, it's about mm -hmm. eight years now wow. that I've been uh, directing Mission Canada for the Pentecostal Sons of Canada. In a nutshell, uh, what, what's Mission Canada and why does it exist? So Mission Canada was really a domestic mission arm of the Pentecostal movement in Canada. What we did is we said, what if we actually looked at Canada through the lens of a missionary? What if we said, hey, we're coming to this country, we need to think not like a pastor, not like an administrator, we need to think like a missionary. And where are the places in our Canadian culture where Jesus is not yet famous? Where are the nooks, the crannies, where the gospel has not yet permeated, or where we're underserved in our areas of church life, gospel presentation. Yeah. So we began to look at our whole country and say, where are those areas? And so Mission Canada developed certain priorities, and there really are five priorities. I kind of hold my hand up, and uh, when I look at my hand, it reminds me of what those priorities are. I, I think of our, our First Nations, our Inuit, our First Nations and our, our Métis people in Canada, they were here first. And there's a, a, a bridge we have to continue to support both Indigenous workers, yeah. but also uh, our churches that are, are engaging with the, the huge issue of our Indigenous people in Canada. Yeah. And the, the difficulty of actually bridging the gap with many to a gospel message. So I kind of have a two-by-four strategy to Indigenous people, for Indigenous people, and by Indigenous people. And uh, we were partnering with uh, some fantastic leaders to see that happen right across the country. You know, the second priority is New Canadians, and if you were to point your finger, you'd say, that's our second priority. Right. And we have about 350,000 New Canadians every single year who are coming to Canada, either as refugees, landed immigrants, uh, skilled workers, international students, and we're finding a huge opportunity. Many of them are coming from Christian uh, backgrounds, but many others are coming from in areas of the world where they have never been exposed to the gospel. So truly, the world is coming to us. You know, Kevin, that's every 1.2 minutes we have a new Canadian coming onto our shores here in Canada. 
Every 1.2 minutes. Every 1.2 minutes, there's a new Canadian at the present levels of Canadian immigration. I don't see That's that huge. as a negative. I actually see that as the great opportunity yeah. that the Lord has granted us yeah. as the Canadian church to embrace and to actually engage people that are from cultural backgrounds. And many of those cultural groups meet in our urban centers. Mm -hmm. Many of them are clustered in areas, uh, cities like Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver and the Lower Mainland and cities like Edmonton and Calgary. Mm -hmm. So we find these hubs of cultural groups right across the country. Mm -hmm. So we partner with 20% of our churches across the country that have uh, languages that we are serving Canadians in. You know, there's over 40 languages in Canada where the Pentecostal churches are reaching into their subcultures and groups. So newcomer centers begin to happen, refugee resettlement, uh, there's all kinds of language and ESL training that's happening. And we're beginning to see uh, introduction of the gospel in so many unique ways to people from cultural language groups. It's right. fun to see. Urban centers, that's the, the, the tall finger. Yep. And then Quebec and Francophone Canada. If you see I've got an actual ring on, because mm -hmm. I'm married, it reminds me. Uh, that, romance. Ah, uh, reminds me both romance, but we were kind of born as twins. Mm. French Canada and English Canada formed this nation. Right. And so we don't forget the Francophone people in Canada. We partner mm. with our churches in the Maritimes, in Eastern Ontario, in Quebec all across the country to see the gospel presented to people that are from a Francophone background. Mm. Quebec is the province that probably is the greatest mission field in the Western Hemisphere. We still have less than 1% of what we would understand as people in a born-again relationship to Jesus right. in the province of Quebec. Right. So that means you have to line up at least 200 people before you would reach your first what we would call born-again Christian in Quebec. We want to see that that change as the light of the gospel goes right across the country, no matter where it is. And the last priority, if I hold my hand up, is my, my, my pinky finger. And it reminds me of those younger than us. Mm. And it's our, our children and our youth and our university and college students across the country. So many of them are outside of faith. Many of them have not been presented. They don't go to Sunday school. They may or may not attend a local church and their outreach programs. So how do we engage the next generation with the gospel of Jesus? So that's, in a nutshell, Mission Canada. Those five priorities kind of guide how we do ministry, and it's really to what we would call missional gaps. Gaps in the mission, whether a church or a region or a district, are not touching them as effectively as they could, we yeah. want to see that gap fill yeah. with yeah. the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, so it, those those priorities uh, could be uh, in a local church, but many times are not. And uh, so if we're going to reach Canada, uh, sometimes we need to go beyond a local church vision. We need a, a missionary vision. Yeah, I think not only just a missionary vision, but it's almost like we're a little bit of the research and development arm. Yeah. We try stuff. Yeah. We throw spaghetti against the wall. We float up new ideas. Yeah. We're like the Elon Musks of the Pentecostal movement. <laughs> we try to invent a, a new type of vehicle. And some of us are just as weird, right? Well, I would say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just in case Elon wants to give some money towards Mission Canada. Yeah. We, we, we love, love you, Elon. We love, we love, we love you. you. <laughs> So what does it look like? 
when we try stuff that traditional churches may or may not do? What does it look like when we go to a missional gap and say, there's got to be a new approach on how ministries happen? Yeah. And so we thank the Lord that he brings good ideas our way. I'm convinced, Kevin, that every good idea I have comes from him. We yeah. think that we have good ideas, but they're really God ideas. They're ideas that have come birthed in a relationship with him by his Holy Spirit as he leads you to something that is in his heart and in his mind uh, for our country. Sometimes a, a, a God idea compared to a good idea, a God idea um, will stretch you and, and sort of take you on a riskier path than uh, the safe, tried and true, good idea path, right? I think when it's a God idea, it's going to stretch your faith, it's going to stretch your finances, mm -hmm. it's going to stretch your own abilities because you're going to go, I can't do this in my own power or strength. It's also going to stress, stretch your relationships. Uh, it may mean that uh, new relationships, new wineskins have to be developed. And when it's really planted by God, I believe that it will bring fruit and it will be fruit that remains. Uh, and you don't always see the fruit on the first day. Yeah. You don't always see the fruit on the second day or the third day. You know, yeah. we're going through a series right now in my local church where my pastor used a fantastic illustration. He said, if you want to grow a bamboo tree, you have to realize that a bamboo tree, you have to plant the seed and you put it in a dusty little area and you'll water it on day one and day two. You know, you'll actually water it an entire year before you'll see anything. Hmm. And actually, you have to water it five years before you actually see the first sprout. Wow. And when you actually hit that maturation date in the fifth year, yeah. it will grow 90 feet in six weeks. <laughs> so that idea is being watered, nurtured, fertilized, developed. Yeah that relationship, but then all of a sudden when that time of maturation happens, that bamboo, you can actually watch the bamboo grow two to three feet a day wow. in front of your eyes because you have tended it well and that bamboo takes off. I think that's a lot like ministry in Canada sometimes. We think we want results right away. Now, here's the question. Did the bamboo grow in six weeks or did it grow in five years? Right. Well, I think it went in five years, but it, we only we all want the fruit at the end. Right. But we don't want the work beforehand. So anybody that seriously considers the call of God in their life needs to have um, a long-range view. I think any ministry, yeah. you realize that if you're in it for the quick fix and the quick turnaround, mm. you'll be disappointed. Yeah. That's why I think he, the Lord says you need to abide in Him. His Word abides in you, and you will bear fruit. Mm. Now, anybody that knows anything about vineyards know it doesn't happen overnight. But the abiding keeps the spiritual vitality happening. Yeah. And the Word is the theological vitality. And then the fruit, that's your missional vitality. That's where you begin to see what God made yeah. through you. But unless the other two are in place, uh, you'll, you'll only do surface things. 
So if you really want to seriously make an impact, those two have to happen. The abiding in the word and the abiding in the vine. And then you'll bear fruit. And then he says, it'll be fruit that remains. It'll actually reproduce other fruit. Brian, in, in, have, are there been some examples in your, from your own personal life of where um, there had to be that long germination season and a long time coming, uh, but God opened up doors or developed things in you that maybe you had the seed of at a young age, but you know it, it wasn't until you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years later that you, you were able to go, ah, it grew. So uh, my first uh, sort of domestic missions experience, my youth pastor took us to, he actually did a trip to the LA Olympics in 1984 as an mm -hmm. outreach. I wasn't able to be a part of that. My brother went, a bunch of my buddies went, and I had to work. Yeah. And so they all came back excited about sharing their faith. So I signed up with the next one, which happened to be Expo 86 in Vancouver. And we did all kinds of different evangelism and teamed up with local churches and did some thing. And I thought to myself there, and as a single college student at the time, I really want to see others experience similar situations. Didn't know until later, I began to, to uh, help develop short-term teams out of local churches and networking with agencies. One of the goals we had is that every single one of our students would experience a cross-cultural or an international missions experience before they left university. And I began to see dozens and dozens and dozens of students engage in all three of the churches I was a part of. Yeah. As they come back to me now, many of them will say, what transformed my life was that experience. When you took the risk to actually go beyond our, our, our everyday encounter, it's when God showed me, you can rely on me, uh, you can actually depend on me to help you raise the funds you need. Wow, we need the Spirit of God to actually do the work for us. So one of those first experiences that I did as a young person, I, I went on a, on a trip, uh, and we were actually handing out clothes in an orphanage area in a, a drug-infested area of Mexico. And I remember the local pastor saying, oh, you guys are here. Thanks for coming. The only gringos that we get in this area, you're either a multinational corporation, you're selling drugs, or you're here to, uh, to grow uh, illegal materials. And we said, no, we're missionaries. Oh, yeah, that's the other category, he says. We, we also have gringos come as missionaries. I remember that morning we fasted and prayed in God showed a picture to one of our gals on the team about people we were going to meet that day. And she showed a picture of this gal with huge jowls. She says, uh, you're going to meet somebody with huge jowls. I didn't even know what jowls meant, Kevin. It meant things in your jaw area. Like a yeah, big, full, big, full uh, jaw area yeah. underneath your jaw. So we did door-to-door -door evangelism that day, which I wasn't really happy about because I didn't speak very good Spanish. Mm -hmm. We got hung up in one door, and uh, anyways, it was a long story. We got chewed away at about three or four doors, and we wanted to quit. And there was one more house at the end of the door, at the end of the street. We walked over to that house, and we knocked on the door, and a lady answered the door. And we said, are you the lady of the house in Spanish, and would you like to receive a Bible? And, 
And she said to us, no, I'm not, but there's a lady back here, and she's actually just busy right now preparing supper, and she was slaughtering chickens in her backyard. And so she came to the front house with a meat cleaver in her hand, blood all over her shirt, and she was actually holding a chicken in her hand. <laughs> and she said, what do you want? And she had the largest jowls I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Jiggling. She was yeah. a larger Mexican yeah. lady. We said, well, we're here to tell you about Jesus. We're here to give you stuff. And would you invite us into your house? She just let me clean up. We shared the gospel with her. That day she had relatives over, and we led 19 people in that house to Jesus. Come on. And I was frozen that morning, not knowing if God was going to open a door and whether or not I could actually see anything happen. We went back. The pastor said, this is unbelievable. I got a whole Sunday school. Most of them were children. A mom her sister, their husbands, there was about 12 or 13 children in the mix between the two families. And uh, 19 people walked into that local church after we led them to Christ. And I realized then that God can do anything. God can change anyone. Yeah, you, you have a real love and I would say um, uh, longing for Canada. I believe that in God's economy, Canada plays a very key role. I believe a couple things. I believe that our relationship to our indigenous people plays a very key role to what God will do in a national move across our country. Do you think it's a contingency? I believe it's late. I don't know if it's contingent, but I believe it's late. I believe that the Lord will also raise up uh, people within uh, both English and French Canada uh, I don't believe that's a division that we need to have. I think it's a it's a beauty and a synergy that we have in our country. And uh, Canada desperately needs the, the Lord. We have lots of Christian witnesses, but our stats basically tell us that within the evangelical community, we're probably between 5 and 6% of the country. That means, if my math is anywhere close, it's about 30 million people in Canada every night go to bed and they still don't have the realization of the hope they have of a life connected to a supernatural opportunity to experience abundant life. Yeah. And that troubles me. That keeps me awake at night. That isn't the way God intended it. See, I believe that God wants more Canadians around the throne of God one day. Mm -hmm. He wants more people from the north and more people from our inner cities and more people from our cultural language groups and more people from every walk of life, yeah. every tribe and every tongue and every nation to be around the throne of God. That's what Revelation tells us. Yeah. So I want more Canadians there, Kev. Me too. That's what I want. Me too. Um, so let's just get into a little bit of nitty gritty on Mission Canada. Like, uh, uh, where, where do you get workers from? What, what does a worker do? How do they support themselves? Talk about workers. So uh, our workers come from all different places. Uh, some of them are from traditional church settings. Some of them are really um, people that have come up through ministries like, say, our campus university network called Serve. Uh, they feel called to a campus. They'll work with an existing worker and we'll connect them to what God's doing on that particular campus. Uh, other times they'll come through some of our traditional training institutions, but mostly it's people that understand Canada missionally. Mm -hmm. uh, they're a different breed. Uh, 
our funding model is that you raise your own support and it gives you an opportunity to create partnerships sort of across the country. So just like a global worker would create partnerships, our Mission Canada workers do the same through churches, businesses, organizations, foundations, individual donors, and they have partners that connect with them on their mission. So we're the accountability structure to right. help make sure that that happens well through strategic planning, some coaching, but also uh, accountability. Yeah, yeah. So our workers really come from all kinds of different places, Kevin. Uh, I used to say, we'll take anyone who's breathing. I don't believe that anymore. No. What I do is I take people who are called. Yeah. People that are, are called to missionary service within our own country. Yeah. Uh, and then I think we can train them on the other things that they need. Yeah. January 23rd, 2020. Uh, what, what would be a, a ballpark on how many workers we have that right now in, in the system, in the agency? that are doing things? Uh, so right now we have uh, 22 deployed workers. We've got about, uh, that would be in all five of those priorities. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, associates that we are connected with, about a half a dozen or so. And then we've got about uh, another half a dozen or eight uh, that are in fundraising development mm -hmm. that are actually training. And I'm getting ongoing calls and relationships for new workers. Mm -hmm. uh, just even yesterday, uh, a new worker possibility. Yeah. And so what I think is uh, is fun is that the Lord continues to call. We just have to respond and listen. Right. And uh, I have those moments where I say, "Are you listening to what God's calling you to do?" Yeah. The fun part is I get calls and then I say, "I think we can do that. I think we can reach into that gap across the country." So I know if anyone's listening, they might be interested in something like that. I mean, you could touch base on the website at the end of the yeah, podcast. We'll put, and, in the show notes, we'll put links to uh, Mission Canada and, and uh, how they can get a hold of you. And, and um, uh, just for uh, the sake of illustration, uh, I mean, we don't have time to um, talk about all 22 workers, but we do have a podcast, so some of them, uh, little by little, are uh, getting on to the podcast. But why don't you just take a few minutes and tell us about three or four uh, very unique kind of um, ministries that are happening through Mission Canada. Tell us about three or four people. So. Uh, we have a, a large contingency that are campus-based workers that will be on secular universities and colleges across Canada. Uh, many of them are, have a great experience in creating a Pentecostal or a spirit-empowered presence on those campuses. I think of others at niches or small little demographics that we're beginning to touch, resort towns, uh, placing workers in a place like Whistler, BC, where they're ministering to the ski and snowboard culture. Yeah. We've got an opportunity to impact that particular group of people. There's three million visitors a year that go through Whistler. Yeah. And we say, why should they not have a, 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 an opportunity to respond to a gospel witness? Yeah. So both to locals in that area, but also to those that are coming in and are receiving. One of our workers actually there had a chance to, uh, to do a, a baptism. And so he told me a funny story. He said, you know, we didn't have really a baptismal tank, but I thought, you know, snow was about as close to water. It's just 
in two different forms. And so they had a pile of snow there, and he just took the guy and he baptized him under the pile of snow and brought him back up. Into the powder. And he said, uh, that's about as close as I put him under H2O. I think I'm pretty close. <laughs> so what does it look like when you're pastoring or you're trying to reach a resort town? Uh, what about things like the film and entertainment industry? Mm -hmm. uh, we have workers that are right now engaging in cities like Vancouver and Calgary and Toronto and Montreal mm -hmm. and possibly this year in Halifax in regards to reaching people that are in the film industry, in the entertainment industry, and people that would never darken the door of a church because it's got too many obstacles to go through. So we see God do some pretty cool things there. Yeah, uh, We've got people working in Indigenous, I uh, think of one of our workers right now who develops running camps and goes into northern communities to help students on suicide watch and students that are walking through difficulties on both Indigenous reserves. And so they'll come in and offer a weekend of hope and restoration as he shares his story of coming through addiction and actually seeing kids into healthy lifestyles and actually connecting with local communities of indigenous. It's, it's thrilling to see. So as you're describing these kind of very um, unique, tailor-made kind of ministry activities, uh, we're not talking about people who just have a special interest and are looking for an excuse to pursue their interest. We're talking about people that really have a, have a heart for Jesus and, and, and want to see uh, people come to Jesus. So I, I kind of say that's true. Uh, it's a special heart for the kingdom. Most of us as leaders within the church, by the end of a uh, tenure, will get sucked into a bit of a church vortex. Mm -hmm. We're spending 90% of our time with people within the church. We're spending 90% of our resources with people from within the church. It's our kids. It's our youth. Yeah. It's our seniors. Yeah. What I want our Mission Canada workers to do is spend 90% of their time with people outside the church. Yes. People in their community, people in a particular area that doesn't have the gospel, still have the time of, of connection with people yeah. within the church. Yeah. But what about the 90% of the time you spend outside the church? And can they, I'm going to say this in a, in a unique way, are they able to interpret or contextualize the gospel into areas that may not be very friendly to the kingdom or to to the gospel. Can a person be like an interpreter right. where they actually can say, you know, here's what they really mean and can I interpret it for you? And here's what they really are understanding and yeah. can I interpret that back? So and, they're and like the receivers. Yeah. It's incredible, you know, some of the some of the workers. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> with um, workers needing to raise their own support, uh, I know a lot of times if, if people feel called to something and, you know, first thing they worry about is how can I afford to do that, you know, is how will I get paid, and, and those are very legitimate concerns that we all have. We all uh, get paid by somebody to do something. But it, there's a bit of a, uh, a double whammy, you know. Um, should I uh, be paid to do the Lord's work? That's a, a question for some. Or, or should it just be something that's over and above what I do 
to sustain my life. That's one thing. The other thing would be, well, I don't want to ask people for money because I know that a big chunk of the budget is going to pay for me. Yeah. So, um, and even, even I, I bet you there's people that <clears throat> never really pursue that longing, that calling because money gets in the way. Yeah. So what, what, what do you do with, with people that come into the, yeah. uh, into Mission Canada? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's a, uh, a feeling that's foreign to any of our workers. Mm -hmm. um, every one of us feel like, how can I ask for me? Mm -hmm. So we really encourage them to say, no, you're having, you're partnering in the gospel to have the gospel actually go and reach people. So when somebody gives you uh, a donation towards the ministry that you're doing, what they're doing is they're saying, we believe in you and the call that you have. Yeah. And we believe that we should partner in the in the gospel adventure that you're on. Yeah. And so we really say to them, you know, how many people can you bring along on your adventure with mm -hmm. you? And it's not like it's a pyramid scheme. It's the fact that you're actually investing, you're giving the money to the, to, to advancing the gospel, mm -hmm. and you're having to use a person in that mode. Uh, like a pastor every Sunday would get up and say, hey, I challenge this congregation to give to God's work. It's the same way that you would say, I challenge you to give towards kingdom work. Yeah. And so what we try to do is give them a, a covering of accountability, a bit of a good housekeeping seal of approval from our network of churches, and they're able to go and speak to any of our churches, any of our leaders across the country, to be able to say, yeah, I'm actually connected to something bigger than myself. This isn't just a pipe dream that I'm doing yeah. in the basement. Yeah, we always meet people who say, oh yeah, I've, I've got a ministry, I do this or I do that, and, and the first question often in my mind is, okay, so who do you belong with? Yeah. What, who are you accountable to? Like, is this just you working out of um, your own mind? You know, who said that you know you are uh, qualified to to be doing what you're doing? And and, I, and 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 that's just sort of I think a common thing is if if you're going to um, be doing something uh, in his name, then there needs to be some measure of. Uh, you're, you're not just off doing your own thing, but you're, you're joined yeah. to the body of Christ. Right? And what we're doing here is we've got legitimacy of a, of a hundred year old denomination that's yeah. still actively engaged in new ideas. Yeah. Uh, we're not just recycling what we did in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Right. We actually are looking at new approaches and new ways, new wineskins as it were. Mm -hmm. So we're open to the innovation and we're open Yet we are rooted in a, a creed of, of, a, of a denomination or yeah. a, a fellowship that's yeah. legit right across the country. Yeah. So I don't think money will ever stand in the way of a good idea. Yeah. I've ever said, you know, it was funny, I was reading the other day the, the miracle when Jesus fed the 5,000. Mm -hmm. It was Philip who said, uh, Lord, we don't have enough money for this. How are we going to feed all these people? <laughs> So there's always going to be somebody in the crowd that yeah. says, it's a money issue. Yeah, yeah. And then they find the boy with the lunch, and he's got, you know, his five and two. And then they say, well, we don't have enough. There's always going to be somebody who tells you you don't have enough. Yeah. 
right? Um, we'll, we'll often tell ourselves that. Yeah. So you're always going to have somebody asking about the money, and there's always going to be somebody that says, we don't have enough. Yeah. But it's Jesus who blesses and breaks the bread and then distributes it. And I love the miracle because in the end, every one of the 12 disciples had a basket that they were picking up. Yeah. And they went home with 12 baskets full. Yeah. It was kind of like they went home to the wife and the kids and said, look what happened today. Yeah. We didn't think we had enough money. We didn't think what we had was enough. Yeah. And God did the multiplication. Yeah. So that's what our workers have had. One of our workers, I'll tell you a quick story. He, uh, he got a call out of the blue from uh, uh, somebody. He was working at one of our university campuses. The guy said, I just want to meet you for coffee. So he met this international student for coffee, and at the end of the coffee, the guy thanked him. And he heard all the ministry that he was doing, didn't know who he was, and he said, yeah, we'll see you around campus. About three days later, a check for $5,000 came into his account. He looked at the name, he said, oh, that's the guy I had coffee with. Phoned him up, and he said, you yeah, know, I'm a part of another church, and we we're just looking for someone to bless, and I was just gonna meet with you just to see what you were doing. I'm so convinced, here's $5,000 to wow. yeah. Now, that doesn't happen every day. Yeah. But the miracle happened just because, I, I told him, keep that $2.19 receipt from that, from that meeting, because that'll show you how God multiplies your faithfulness sometimes in your life. Yeah. So you never know who you might have coffee with. It might yeah. believe in what you're doing and actually invest into kingdom work yeah. through you. The, the secret is to get our eyes onto the kingdom work and, and be faithful to, to what God calls you to. Um, the miracle happened yeah. because the disciples were the ones handing out the loaves and the fish. Yeah. The miracle true. happened because they were the ones that were bringing it into the Jesus the didn't 50. do it alone. Jesus he, actually probably never yeah. handed anything out. And the beauty of the miracle was that they were working, and as they were working, it was multiplying. Yeah. And I think sometimes we think we have to do it all in our own strength, but as we're working, uh, God will multiply. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool. That is and cool. I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle, provision after provision for Mission Canada workers who didn't know how they were going to make the ends meet at the end of yeah. the year. And all of a sudden, some church said, we were praying, God gave you, like, put us on your heart, and here's some, some funds for you. And partners, and, and God's doing some pretty cool things. Our global workers have stories that blow your mind on those things as well, and God's yeah. provision yeah. for them. So it works the same in our own country, and in your own life, and my own life. Well, speaking of multipl multiplication, and, and let me make this maybe my last question. Um, let's let's do a multiplication uh, exercise here. Let's do a 10x. So if you had 10 times the resources, if you had 10 times uh, the workers and 10 times the impact. When I say you, I mean Mission, Mission Canada. Canada. Yeah. Um, what could that look like uh, if, if we had a, a 10 times multiplication? Well, that'd be, that'd be beyond anything I would have ever dreamt about. When I started, uh, the predecessor, George Warner, did a fantastic job laying the foundation. Yes, I was he did. Yeah. Uh, we had about a half a dozen workers or so. Mm -hmm. uh, we now are at about, well, as I said, you know, in total around uh, 31 and change. Mm -hmm. uh, 
what, what would it look like with 300 workers, what you're really asking? Yeah. What would it look like with 10 times the funding that we presently have? Yeah. Well, I think we'd still be only scratching the surface of what it yeah. would like to reach Canadians. Yeah. Uh, I think we would see more people sharing the gospel, accepting the gospel, reproducing the gospel in others. Uh, I, I hope that the same passion would be there. Let me rephrase that. The same passion will be there for the lost. I think I'd love to see us um, have churches become hubs for producing workers. Just like we plant churches, we would be planting people in specific unreached people groups. It wouldn't necessarily be just through an agency. It would be hubs of churches that are saying, you need to go to this gap, and you need to go to this gap, and they would actually release people from their churches to do kingdom work in that regard. I think the next big thing is going to be co-vocational workers. What I mean by that is not bivocational, I work and I do church work, but co-vocational meaning that the work they do is directly cooperating co with the mission, with the mission they're, they're in. Yeah. So for example, I'm an Uber driver, which helps me get to know my neighbors, and as I'm driving them in the car, I'm actually sharing Jesus with them. Yeah. I'm making money while I'm doing a vocation that's actually connected to my ministry. Yeah. So I might be a church planner who's actually running a coffee shop. I might be yeah. a, um, a campus worker who's actually running a house on campus for students to live in, for international students. Mm -hmm. And you actually are marrying your vocation to your mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think that's the trend of the future. And I think we need to be thinking in that direction. Co-vocational. Co-vocational. A bit of a new buzzword, but it's out there. And I think that's the trend for the future. Yeah. So you want a 10 times? I'd love to have multiple hubs across this country pushing out co-vocational workers that understand the heart of the mission and actually seeing what God can do through them but not totally extricating them from their everyday life. Right. right. Uh, that's one. The other is, uh, I really think that I'd love to see an impact in every single one of these five priorities to a point where we're actually at the tipping point for cultural change. Mm -hmm. So the, they say about 15% of a population can actually tip the scales on cultural change in a particular region. So, for example, if you have about 15% of the population that uh, have a particular fan, and they're a particular fan of a sports team, they will tip how people buy memorabilia, and what they do in the jerseys they buy, and there's a market, as it were. And I would just love to see us see that kind of a tipping point in many of the areas of Canadian culture that need the gospel. So 10 times, Kevin, I think that would be something that would blow us all away. But I think it would. It, I think the Father would be well pleased I think if so. we had 10 times yeah. the impact in this country. Does the Lord of the Harvest want a 10x? I think so. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Brian, as, as we uh, wrap it up for today, um, why, don't, why don't you pray um, for, uh, for a 10x effect? Yeah. We'll, we'll close up. Yeah. Well, Kev, thanks for having me on today. Well, let's right. let's, let's yeah. pray. Father, thank you today. You have said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into his harvest field. 
So, Lord, we align ourselves with that prayer today. Lord, we ask that you would continually speak to people about the call to missional work around the globe and to missional work here in Canada. We ask the Lord of the Harvest for workers, workers that have a heartbeat and a call to see the gospel penetrate every part of this country, whether it's our urban centers, it's diversity, and it's cultural changes, and whether it's our suburbs or our, our distant towns, or whether it's the north, or whether it's from coast to coast, we thank you, Lord, that you are still calling workers to see the gospel advance in this country. So we agree with that prayer today in Luke chapter 10, verse 2. We ask, Lord God, that you would fulfill it even in our own uh, churches, our own relationships, and in our country. We pray this in the name of Jesus, to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Brian. And uh, we'll put all of the links on the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Thank hey, Kev, you. thanks for uh, letting me be on. You bet. Well, thank you, Brian, for sharing those incredible insights. If you think that uh, you may be interested in being a Mission Canada worker, why don't you send me an email today, kevin.rogers at paoc.org, or send an email to Brian Eggert, brian.eggert, E-G-E-R-T, at paoc. Org. We would love to hear from you and, uh, and see if, uh, if you uh, might uh, have a fit into urban ministry uh, or any of the other areas. And uh, there's uh, some process involved in becoming a Mission Canada worker and uh, so that's to be expected. That's just part of being accountable and part of uh, raising quality people to put into uh, places where they're really needed. So give us, uh, give us a call or uh, an email if you would like to uh, find out more. Our next guest coming up is a Mission Canada worker at Ryerson University in downtown Toronto. If you've been to Ryerson University, you know that it is a truly cosmopolitan place. It is a crossroads of the world. And our next guest, David Burke, uh, has a ministry called Lifeline right on the campus of Ryerson University. And we're looking forward to, to hearing what David has to say. So join us uh, for our next episode. Episodes drop on the 1st and the 15th of every month. Uh, please go to the page where you can subscribe and listen to all of the things that we're sharing. We hope that you do that. God bless you. Have a great day. I'm Kevin Rogers, and this is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.